You're listening to the Grieving Mamas Club podcast, a space for moms who are on the wild ride of motherhood while navigating their grief journey. Here are your hosts. I'm Rashida, a motherless mom of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Yep, that is two under four. And I'm Kara, a motherless mom with a three-year-old, an angel baby, and one on the way. Let's dig in. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 12 of the Grieving Mamas Club. Today, we have an interview with Miss Janet Willem-Bright. She is the owner, host, and I guess writer, all those things of a website called The Mother Love Project, where she lets other mamas who are missing their moms tell their stories in a safe place so that it's there for other mamas to get to. The conversation, guys, was awesome. Shooketh to thy core. She's going to be your new bestie. Okay. Yes. She's our new bestie. Yes. She's already been besties with Rashida. <laughs> Internet digital besties. Yes. yes. <laughs> Bloggy Insta besties. besties. Insta, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but oh my gosh, you guys, she is just a beautiful human. That's all I can yes. say. Yes. So yeah, we think you're really going to like the interview with her coming up next. But before we do that, Kara, how was your week? Oh my gosh. Okay. Week was good. Pretty uneventful. Praise the Lord. You know, as I said, just coming out and wrapped up hunting season. So that's a wrap on that. Brian did not get anything, which I'm okay with because then we don't have any additional taxidermy going on Mm -hmm. in this house. And Mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. That's really, truly it. Boring snoozeville. I'm here for it. What about you, Rashida? How was your week? Um, but wait, how many weeks are we officially now? Now we can do like a countdown. Oh yeah. So it is November. No, today is November. What day is today? November 16th, 32 weeks. So yeah, that means yeah. when this airs, you'll be like 35 weeks, which is wild. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Yes. Oh my. I know when I, I, when I reached the like single digits, I was like, <gasps> right. We, we still have so much to do, but you're just going eh. hunting. Okay. <laughs> I know, but no, like literally he has a bed. He has a best that's not put together. Best that's not put together. There's just boxes and bags of clothes in his room. So yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not my style, but you know, figure he's, it out. He's okay. He's I okay. Know. Classic second baby. I know. Brother. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. He's going to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, so my week was also really I didn't, we did not do a whole lot this weekend. I have been swamped at work, Boo. which is, yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, Yay, it pays getting, the bills. yes, it does pay the bills. I'm getting ready to move into a new position that I'm really excited about. So cool. I've been like, taking on some things. Yeah. So that's been taking up some space, but I heard, I was listening to the news like two weeks ago and they said that there was a blood shortage, like some, I don't know. They just like pulled some dude out of the hospital and he was like, yeah, if everybody needed blood today, no, like somebody not there's not enough for everybody. That was my call to uh-huh. do something about this blood shortage. Okay. Okay. I immediately guilt tripped Ben into like giving blood like two days later. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm going to give in two weeks. So today, <laughs> let's see, today, she's free in two weeks. <laughs> yes. Yes. So today I went to give blood. The last time I gave blood was like 
maybe a month or two before I found out I was pregnant with Dom. So it wasn't actively pregnant. Um, And I passed out, but I thought it was because I hadn't eaten enough food and also thought it was because back then I was like real skinny. So also was like, oh, maybe I just don't like, I'm too, too skinny. That sounds stupid, but you know. Yeah. So today I was like, "Mm, mama got 40 pounds on that girl. So we should be good. (laughs) She's ready to donate, share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's got extra blood. Yeah. She ate. She's going to be great. And so I I go in, I do the, I'm squeezing the thing, getting all the stuff done. And I, Kara, I was actually texting you (laughs) right before I passed the FL. I was, yeah, I I was wondering, actually, when I saw the succession of events, I was like, you were like, you start doing the math in your head and you're like, but I think we were talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and then we weren't. Yes. So I'm texting you in one hand, squeezing on the other hand. And then I, the woman comes up and she's like, okay, you're almost, you're almost done. Like, cause at the end they do like the test tubes or whatever. Uh-huh. And at that point I put my phone down and she goes, are you okay? I was like, no, <gasps> no. Yes. Like fully yeah, out, like, like fully yes, out. Like, and it was like only for a couple seconds, but it was like lights out. She gone. <gasps> <laughs> It's not funny, but it's funny. It's when I funny. when I come back to yeah, when I come back to, they have like taken the mask off and they've like put all these like things on me, like all the like cold rags. They've like put my chair back or my little thing, so I'm just like laying flat, yeah, passed out. Yes, you're like, hey, yeah. <laughs> Oh yes. my God, Rashida, that's so scary. And I don't, I'd like to say, well, at first I was like, I'm never doing this again, but kind of, it's kind of like childbirth. Like now I'm like, I could probably do it again to save someone. <laughs> yeah. You could probably do it. Yeah. You're already, com- yeah. It's- yeah. This is what, this is what women do. We're like mildly inconvenienced for the good of another person. And we're like, it's okay. It didn't hurt that bad. I'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I passed the F out. At some point I asked the lady, like when she went to sit me back up, cause I was like, I should be okay. So she sits me back up. I then start feeling like I'm getting ready to vomit. She oh. goes, yeah. And I go, is it normal to feel like you're going to vomit? And she goes, yeah, sometimes. And they just like sit a trash can over next to me. And there she, they <laughs> lay me back down and she's like, okay, the trash can's on your right. So if I, I'm just supposed to roll over on this little gurney and just <laughs> No, they've done this. They've done this. I'm like, oh, we got another one. Got another know, one. They're like going about their business, getting other people's blood. And like, yeah, she was. She came back and was like, do you want some more cheeses? I'm like, ah. a better, a better. But I saved them lives though. That's amazing. I'm so, you know what? It's, they say it's you know a small thing that we can all do, but I don't, I think it's going to be a while before I do it again, but I yeah, do feel that's like okay. I'll probably do it again. That's okay. I, I would be totally all about that. I don't know that I can give blood anymore because when I had tangent, when I had Ellie, I had two blood transfusions. So I think that like, Oh, puts me on the do not donate list. I think it does. Yeah. Don't, I'm not a medical professional. Somebody's going to slide into our DMS and be like, you're good. Not accurate. Yeah. And I'm going to be like, yeah, oh. they did ask me, have I ever had a blood transfusion? So maybe. Uh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I will say that those two blood transfusions were amazing. And I, I feel like just that extra dose, extra dosage of blood just really brought, just aided in my healing. That's why why I did it because like, I have something to give and you never know. That's why I did it. I'm probably going to do it again. Yes, I know. But next time I will drink more water. 
been, I straight lied to my husband today. Like as I was walking out of the door, he goes, where have you been pushing water all day? And I went, yeah, lies. Shit. Lies. Caught red handed. So when you got in the car, you were like, he's like, how'd it go? And you're like, well, well, I drove myself there. So I had to like yeah. wait until I was able to drive myself back. Right. Yeah. yeah. As then, I assume then, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then my dumbass drank coffee afterwards. Oh no. No wonder why. You said earlier that you still were cooping. Wait, <laughs> you had know. coffee at like 4 p.m.? Oh, I always have coffee. Girl, wait till you get that second kid out. Oh, God. No one. I always have coffee at 3.30. What? And between 2 and 3.30, I always have an afternoon cup of coffee. Wow. Mm-hmm. I can't even like the, the idea. This doesn't even sound good. I'm, I'm like an iced tea gal in the afternoon. Switch at noon. Mm. and. Mm-mm. I mean, I would yeah. take straight heroin probably if, they, if that was <laughs> something you could do. But, but I like being healthy. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not heart Kinda healthy. Like, so. yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be healthier. Coffee. It's he- Hold on. Afternoon coffee. It's healthier than heroin. <laughs> And that's it. Right. Copyright that shit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, well, we have successfully gone on that tangent as we do. As we do. So maybe we, we should do. get to our yeah. wonderful, awesome interview. So here it is. Hello guys. And I am so excited. Kara and I are here with you with another interview. This one I'm equally as pumped about as last week as well. We, we only bring the good people here on our show. The good, good. But this is a woman I have been following on my own personal blog for probably over a year now. She like Kara and I has experienced losing her mom. So we're going to talk to her about that journey. We're going to talk to her about her journey being an LGBTQ mom who has lost a mom, like so many, so many faucets of grief there to kind of work through as she was coming into her own. So I am so excited to introduce Janet William Wright. Hello. It's so, so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. I am thrilled to be on your podcast. It's so exciting. Yeah. So excited to have you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have been one of the like original people who has connected with me in this motherless space since I started my blog. So yeah, it's exciting to like actually see you in person and you look, you and Kara look cute today. I am. (laughs) It's just a headband. Yeah. It's all just duct tape and a prayer. Awesome. Janet, <laughs> yeah, Janet looks cute. She's got cute little, <laughs> some fringe going on. She's some ready bangs. to roll. Yeah, yeah. she's ready to rock. <laughs> Go her. I like skated right on into this interview, having yelled at my toddler about he was upset about something in his iPad. Exactly. Exactly. How else yeah. are you going to manage your time? Yeah. There's yeah. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, Janet. So you yeah. are a motherless mama, like yeah. Kara and I. So we really just want to yeah. dive into your story. So yeah. before you dive, well, I'll ask this question. We usually so that you can think on it as well. Toward the end, I'm gonna ask, like, describe your mom. Like, what do you miss the most about your mom? Because that's always like a wonderful piece to to talk about. But before we jump into that, tell us the story of like losing your mom and that whole journey. Yeah, it's been such a long time. So I'm going to date myself and you're going to know exactly how old I am. My mom, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1991. Really before anybody. Yeah. So really before I was 13. So really before anybody was talking about... Oh, 1990, 1991. For anybody who's talking about breast cancer or mm-hmm. kind of what it was or how to treat it, it was very early in the advocacy days. And 
you know, we were really confident that she was going to beat it. And, you know, she went through all the radiation and chemo and everything. And, and we thought, oh, this is, this is going to be okay. And as a teenager, I just, I mean, my mom was bigger than, was larger than life to me, mm-hmm. right? She was like a, mm-hmm. a superstar. And she, you know, she went through all our treatments and was in remission for four years. And wow. we thought, wow. okay, five years, our doctors were like, five years, that's kind of the marker. You get past that and you're, you're kind of good to go. So at like four and a half years, she started to have pain in her back and mm-hmm. thought, okay, that's, that's never a good sign. And went back into the doctor's office and had some tests done and the cancer had spread to oh. her liver. Oh my gosh, yeah. so quickly. Yeah, after four and a half years. And so really, they just said to her, it's only a matter of time. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to go everywhere. We can slow it down. We can give you some, you know, pain meds and stuff like that. But really, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, this is going to be terminal. So I was a senior in high school. I was 17 going on 18. I feel like I should break into song. I won't. Um, <laughs> I am 16, 16 going, going on <laughs> Exactly. And it was my last year of, of high school and I was supposed to go to university and our entire lives were just completely flipped upside down by my mom's illness. She was very, mm-hmm. very sick and got progressively sicker as the school year went on. And that was was really hard because I was a perfectionist sort of like type A you know straight A student and I was trying to keep everything together and she died the day I graduated from high school oh my god oh yeah oh my gosh yeah. Janet basically at the same time are you kidding no oh. so were so you at, at graduate my, yeah I, yeah so I was at my high school graduation and I tell this story and people think I'm making it up but I wish I was like, it's just right. so surreal. So mm-hmm. we had gone to the hospital right before my graduation ceremony, which was downtown. So I'm from Vancouver, BC. And yes, it was we're going international in- y'all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it was in this beautiful, beautiful auditorium downtown. And of course my entire graduating class was just like, we were beside ourselves. We were so happy. This was supposed to be the happiest day of our lives. Totally. Right that. This is what we had been working our whole lives for. Yeah. And I went, we went to the hospital, my dad, my brother and I, and some friends, we went to the hospital and and my mom was, was in a coma. Like she couldn't hear. And the nurse had said to me, I said, can she hear me? And she said, no, I I don't think so, dear. You know, this is really the last, or the senses are the last to go. I remember Mm -hmm. the nurse saying that to me and I was like, okay, sure. I'm going to just talk to her for a bit and then I'm going to go and I'm going to come back because I want, mm -hmm. someone's going to record this and they're going to, we're going to show her the record. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like, that's great. That's a great idea. So we get to the auditorium and, you know, we process in and we go up on the stage and la, 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 la. And I noticed that my dad and my brother were not in the audience when it started. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's really weird. They're late. Okay. Well, I'm just going to like go with it, whatever. I'm up on stage. There's like hundreds of people there, right? All friends are family. Sure. And then I see them come in a little bit late into the ceremony, maybe like half an hour late. So I don't really think about it. I'm like, oh, my traffic is bad. And then the ceremony ends and I take all my hardware because I want a bunch of stuff. And my dad comes up behind me and says in my ear, she went at two o'clock, which was the same time that the ceremony started. And all I remember was just the blood sort of draining out of me. And I started to feel like I was going to faint. 
And one of my friends was behind me. She caught me from falling and I kind of collapsed into her. And then I just kind of collapsed, like almost onto the floor. Like they had to kind of like pick me up and out of the auditorium and kind of like put me down because I thought I'm, I'm going to pass out yeah. right here in the middle of all these people. Right. And I just remember, and so that was 26 years ago. So I'm 44 now. Mm-hmm. And that moment in my life, like there was my life before that moment. Mm-hmm. And there was my life after that moment. Yep. And I think what I learned from losing her was that the life that I thought that I had didn't really exist because when she died, my entire life, my family disappeared. All my friends, all my parents' friends just disappeared. I literally just, I became an orphan that day. You were just left Um, by yourself. I was, I was, I was 18. I was going to university and I was left by myself. Gosh, Janet. Yeah. 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 How's that for a story? So you just said, and I wrote it down because I thought it was awesome. Well, awesomely beautiful. I should say that there was my life before that moment and my life after that moment. That extremely resonated with me because I kind of feel that way too. Like while my story, I have so many, you said so many awesome things. I have a lot of follow-up questions. I'm sure Kara does too, but while my story doesn't have the same beginning as yours, the end part kind of, well, that initial and the initial loss feels similar to me. And that like, I too felt so alone. Like I didn't have parents, like the latter half of high school, it was just me and my brother trying to make it work with the loss. When your life changes that much in the immediate afterwards, two things for me, at least you realize like, holy crap, that one person was the one person holding my life together. Everything. Scary. Yeah. That's scary. And I never want that to happen again. No. Uh, So there, there go your trust issues. And then the second thing is like, you're, you're holding anger at the people who walked out and anger at the situation and anger at your mom. Like there's so many emotions I had to work through after that. Yeah. So I, I get you there for sure. Yeah. And I think that all the really maladaptive coping mechanisms that I had developed my whole life because of things that had happened before my mom had died just kicked into overdrive. And I didn't really realize that that was happening until much mm-hmm. later. So all the perfectionism, all the workaholic stuff, all the mm-hmm. drinking, all the like partying, all the pushing myself constantly, pushing, 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 pushing. I didn't realize that I was doing that to just escape my grief. Mm-hmm. Like that I was, I was running as fast as I could from my grief and trying to control everything by being like this perfect student and this like model, uh, you know, kind of academic success. Cause I thought that that's what would protect me. And in a way it did, it did protect me from certain things, but it also set me up for a lifetime of burnout. And mm-hmm. I'm still in my forties <laughs> dealing with this, you know, 26 years later, I'm still going, Oh, right. I'm still burning myself out. Oh, crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. damn it. You know, like I still, I'm trying to, I'm still, pe- I'm still peeling this stuff back and trying to figure out how do I live a healthy life that isn't constantly in reaction to the really traumatic things that have happened to me up until this point. So that's, you know, it it really, it really does speak to how I think when you experience trauma at that particular age, right at that particular Mm -hmm. point in time, or at a young age, it can really do an enormous amount of damage for, for, you know, 
well into adulthood. I'm sure. And I feel like when you experience trauma, experience loss, it's easier to escape the, the present yeah. and, and do things to cover up, whether that is mindlessly scrolling on your phone, something as simple as mindlessly scrolling on your phone or drinking, partying, or, or mm-hmm. completely absorbing yourself into something else that takes you out of this present moment. Yeah. So that way you don't have to feel those feelings anymore. And that's what I did. I just threw myself into school. That was all I did. That was my entire reason for being was being a good university student. Mm-hmm. And I just did that for like six years straight. I guess I there's worse things. I guess there's worse things you could have been doing. Sure. <laughs> Except here's the punchline. There is. The yeah. punchline, yeah, the punchline is this is six years later. I completely flamed out on my program. I mean, like, mm. like melted down and, and had to drop out. Oh, and mm. then I had nothing. I had nothing. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I was good for. My -hmm. entire value system was because I had serious depression, serious anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, Go figure. After years of, you know, running from grief, I completely lost my foundation. And that just felt even, even more traumatizing for me. So I think that was the thing is that my entire self-esteem and self-sense of self-worth was tied up in this perfectionism and, and being this like hyper achiever. And when I didn't have that anymore, I, I, I completely bottomed out. Like I didn't know who I was anymore. I could, yeah, I did. I mean, I could have gone down. My therapist always says this to me, just, you know, you, you could have gone down some very different roads, very different roads, <laughs> but you didn't. I'm like, I know. I know I did. So yes, I mean, getting a graduate degree, sure. Is it the worst thing in the world? No, it's not. But it took an enormous tool on mm-hmm. on me kind of psychologically and, and physically that sort of manifested later in life. So, so yeah, so we have on the last episode that we recorded last week, which actually won't be out for a couple of more weeks. We okay. talked about how that guest and I lost our moms in 2006, 2005. So you're even ahead of, or before that. Yeah. We talked about how back then though, mental health wasn't a thing and it wasn't a thing you shouted from the rooftops and it no. wasn't a like, like if any, if I know somebody who loses somebody close to them now, like my first thing I probably said to Kara, I think was like, are you going to therapy? Like, are you taking care of yourself? Like, are you, what are you doing to cope with this loss? But I feel like prior to like maybe even four or five years ago, it was the way that you were, you were told to be strong. You were told to keep moving and that's what you did. So when did you reach a point though, that you were like, okay, I'm not okay. And I need some help. Well, how far back can we go? Because (laughs) I, so let me put this in perspective. This is your story, girl. Oh, well, so let me put this in perspective. When my mom died, the internet didn't exist. Oh, yeah. It didn't? (laughs) There was no internet. No, there was no internet. That's how old I am, Kara. There was no internet. Okay. We didn't have phones. I had a pager. Okay. Okay. I had a pager. Okay. So when I say there was nothing, there was nothing. So Hope Ailman wrote Motherless Daughters and Mm -hmm. published it the year after my mom died in 1996. Mm -hmm. I bought that book probably in 97 or 98. It was, it was a a godsend to me. It was a lifeline. It was like, oh my God, there are other people out there who have had similar experiences to me. I'm not some crazy freak who has like completely lost her mind. Mm -hmm. There are others. And actually 
one of my closest friends in high school had lost her mom to ovarian cancer two years before mine Oh wow! in in grade 10. Yeah. And she was very close to my mom and losing my mom was very painful for her. Yeah. And so we had this bond, like she and I still to this day, 30 years later, we're still friends. And even though we live in, you know, she lives in San Francisco and I've lived here, like that will always bind us that experience Mm -hmm. because there's nobody else who can understand what we went through like she did, like you Mm -hmm. guys do. And we haven't been talking about mental health. I've been in and out of therapy for the last 20 years. It's never really worked. Like it's worked a bit, but it hasn't Mm -hmm. really worked. And when our second daughter was born in 2015, I had experienced a burnout that was so severe that I stopped sleeping. And in fact, I didn't Mm -hmm. sleep for six months. Oh, yeah, severe insomnia for almost six months. And she was born in November. And by the time she was born, so my partner gave birth to her in November, November 22nd, 2015. And she's about to turn back next week. And I was so incapacitated with depression and anxiety and insomnia that I almost had to be hospitalized. Oh my goodness. And yeah, it was really like, it was really, really bad. And I went to see a different therapist. I thought there has to be something else. There's, 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 there's gotta be a way. And I started doing research about cognitive behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'd never done CBT before, but I had heard from others and then just reading online that it really worked. And so I Mm -hmm. went and sought out uh, a clinic that did this in Ottawa. And I ended up with the most amazing therapist I've ever worked with. And she has literally saved me over the Mm -hmm. last six years. Mm -hmm. So I think that that was, you know, there's sort of like layers of bottoming out in my lane that I can really point to. There are years on the mark, you know, on the like timeline marker, 2015 was a particularly bad year so that that would be that's what I would say was the almost the turning point I guess for me to take my own mental health really seriously because I really doubled down on therapy like I went oh gosh every two weeks Mm-hmm. Good. And yeah, you, when you, I went weekly for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, it started weekly and then it went to every two weeks yeah. and now it's every month, but you know, yeah, same, exactly. same. it was, yeah, it really was quite intense at the beginning. Yeah. I'm glad that you were able to find, finally find that help and, and finally get some sleep. Cause yeah. I mean, yeah, I go yeah. like a night or two of like waking up at from like one to three and it, it, it's just miserable. It's absolutely it miserable, mm-hmm. it but is. to be going yeah. on that span, it's just like, it just takes such a toll in other ways and other areas of your health. And then to have a newborn on top of it. Oh my yeah. gosh. And then yeah. a partner who's wild. pregnant, like, yeah, that's just a lot, <laughs> but, yeah. but but you, but you're still here to talk about it. So that's awesome. We did. We're still married. I don't know how we survived that year. I'm not sure. She's probably just too tired to leave me. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I got you, yeah. crazy person. I got a newborn. We had a five-year-old. Like it was, <laughs> it was chaos. Our dog was dying. Oh, it was just, oh it was, gosh. It was chaos. It was chaos. I don't even know how we made it through that year. I think the one thing that really helped me was I had a job that enabled me to take parental leave and mm. I took nine months off. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Oh, it wait, was amazing. Wait. It's Canada. Oh, <laughs> no. 
You it's had not nine? only Canada. It's not only Canada, but I work for the federal government. I had, yeah. So in Canada, we have employment insurance, which is our maternity leave. So I know mm-hmm. it just sounds like bragging. I'm sorry. But we have okay. maternity leave. I know. And Karen partner, and I are like drooling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I, you... so I took it. I took, the, I took the leave and it was like the best nine months of my life. I've never been healthier. I'm I sure. sleeping again. I got to spend every day with my kids. I got to play Ugh. with them. We were all together, the four of us. It was a little preview of the pandemic. You know, we were yeah. all at home together. <laughs> yeah. <today>. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was great. I really, I really took that opportunity to heal myself. I I, I got myself out of my depression. Not myself, mm-hmm. but like lots of things got me out of my depression. And 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 I really got back to kind of a stable, a stable place. And I've been healing, like I've been getting progressively better Good. every year since then. So yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was really helpful. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) My goodness, my goodness, my friend, I've known you for this year and some change now. And I didn't know your story was as one similar to mine in the, the fact that we had extra trauma after trauma. And then that we each waited possibly too long to, (laughs) to seek help. Cause I did the same thing. I just jumped into doing what I knew how to do. And that was be a good student as well. And it was like checking off to do's and, and that's, it's even today I am by trade, I'm an account manager in advertising. And the very thing that makes me a good account manager is also the thing that makes me bad at grieving. So like I can check through my to-do list. Like I'm so good at getting through my to-do. But I have to also be cognizant of like when I'm getting towards burnout, if I'm avoiding a feeling with my to-do list, like, so it's like a a constant line I have to walk between like being someone who's innately good at getting shit done, but also someone who's innately good at getting shit done at the price of her mental health. (laughs) exactly exactly you could be describing me like I've worked so I've worked so hard the last 13 years Mm -hmm. I'm a director in the public service I've become an executive like I am really proud of everything that I've done but I have done it at the expense of my health I've done the expense Mm -hmm. of my physical health my mental Mm -hmm. health I have pushed myself way past my limits Mm-hmm. On way too many occasions, and at work, people are like, "Look at you go!" You know, amazing, amazing, amazing results, results, results. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But privately, personally, I have seen the enormous toll that it's taken on me, and now I see the toll that it takes on my kids oh. and my wife. Family, I was going to say that your wife. family, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, she's not too happy about that either. Yeah. So you know, yeah. we have a lot of conversations about how I don't manage myself very well, especially when I get overwhelmed, especially when I get triggered. I was triggered by something very recently that just kind of sent me into a tailspin. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, when that happens, I'm getting better at recognizing it now. And so just sort of like sitting with the feeling and kind of like understanding what does that look like for me? And how does it show up at work? Because it always shows up at work. Mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like, how do I balance that? How do I balance it out? How do I not take my shitty moods out on my kids? Like that's the thing that really right now, because my older daughter is 11. 
almost 11 and she's she's looking at me going it was wrong with you why right. are you like this? she's why picking that? up that's oh, why you're yeah. in trouble oh, she's yeah. picking up she on is. that stuff and you she's can't like, you're being mean to me when I'm short with her you're being mean to me and I'm like I'm not being mean I felt like saying to her let me tell you something about me you want to you want to <laughs> talk about me let's yeah. talk about me and then I have to stop myself and go, oh, my shitty childhood is not her problem. Right. I don't yeah. need to explain. Amen. How traumatized I was as a child repeatedly because mm-hmm. of the terrible decisions that my parents made, both mm-hmm. of them, to my 11-year-old who doesn't need to know that. She can yeah. know it later, mm-hmm. but right now she just sees a mom who is like super grumpy and really stressed out and not being very nice. Right. That's what she sees. And right. she doesn't get it because normally I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty fun mom, but lately not so much. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's really, ch- she's really challenging me. It's so annoying. It's very annoying. <laughs> Cause you're well, probably getting it from both sides with your, with your partner and with your wife and with you her. You're like, well, up on me. I don't like it. It's not <laughs> well, and she's, she's getting close to, so you said, and I don't remember care. Yeah. Mind, this might've been a podcast that we talked about, or this might've been when I went on what fresh health talk, but this, she's getting close to the age you were when your mom yeah. first was diagnosed with cancer. Right. So I'm yeah. sure there are some feelings coming with that. Oh, there are many have, feelings. So the, the joke in my husband's family is that Dinehearts don't have girls. So like they can trace their lineage <laughs> back. They can trace their lineage back like 200 years, like to Germany. What? And in that lineage, there's only been one or two, I want to say two girl born Dinehearts. Whoa. And so Parker's the third. I keep, I keep joking. They just needed to add a little black in there to spice it up and look at us. Yes. But so I just kept saying to myself that I was going to have boys and that felt okay yeah. to me. And then when I found out Parker was a girl, I immediately had gender disappointment for a couple of reasons. One being, I was like, um, I'm going to be a mom of, of a future mom, possibly without yeah. a mom. And also I just yeah. kept going back to like, she's going to be a 15 year old with like 15 year old problems, like real, like 15 year old things. And it's yep. going to be hard for me to look at her and she's going to yep. be like complaining about like Jenny not being her friend or something anymore. Yeah. And like, and she's 15, have the latest I, you know, iPhone. Yeah. Right. And at 15, I had really real problems. Like uh-huh. I had no parents. I had my yeah. brother and I trying to figure out how we we're going to keep the heat on that winter. Like I had real problems. And so like, I was just yeah. like, I'm not going to be a great girl mom because of my trauma at that age. So yeah. I wonder if like, yeah, you're feeling some of that too. Oh, I feel it every day. I mean, I grew up in a totalitarian regime, right? Like that was, I mean, authoritarianism has got nothing on my dad. Mm. And my mom never challenged him ever. Mm -hmm. So when my daughter asserts her boundaries, which we've taught her to do, this is our doing, when she's like, I don't like the way you're speaking to me. And I'm like, excuse me, what are you talking about? You know, I'm the parent, you do what I say. And I'm like, oh yeah, no. Yeah, we don't do that like that. It's very triggering for me because Mm -hmm. I want to say you have no idea what I have been through and the shit that I have had to put up with so that you can tell me that you don't like the way that I'm speaking to you. (laughs) Like that is so, so not right. 
Mm-hmm. And yet it's the family that we have and you have, Sheeta, and you, Kara, have worked so hard to put together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And to and to break that karmic cycle yes. too. Yes. You know? But when I realized, and I knew that this was gonna happen, obviously, but I'm 44. I turned 44 this year. My mom was 44 when she was diagnosed and she died at 49. Oh, yes. Yep, yeah. I mean like I'm yep. getting into a freaky time zone uh-huh. now. I had this epiphany with my therapist, I don't know, maybe like six or seven months ago where I said to her, oh, I'm not my mom. I didn't actually realize that until like right about now. Yeah. I'm not her. I don't have to make her shitty choices. In fact, I haven't made her shitty choices. I've made some very good choices and I continue to make good choices. Yes, and so Janet. I don't have to die young. And I don't, because I always thought, well, I won't live to see 50. I won't. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to like, something's going to happen. I'm going to get hit by bus at 49 or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not my story. That's nope. her story. Yep. I get to write my mm-hmm. own story. Yep. And this mm-hmm. was something I did not realize until this year, ladies. Like, seriously, it took me this long to realize that. Yeah, that I feel that. very powerful for me. Absolutely. I, Janet, I had that same epiphany to my mom passed away in April of 2020. So we're coming, we'll be in coming up in two years. I was so stuck in, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast. I was so stuck in living in a world where I was living for my mom. And all of a sudden, you know, after she passed, I realized soon after ish, I realized I need to live by my, this is my story. I'm not living for Jane. I can live for her and that I can live in her memory and, and, you know, keep that going. But this is my story. It's the exact same thing that you were just saying, Jen, that just resonated so strongly with me that this is my story that I'm not making the same decisions that she made. I'm a completely different person and you have come into your own and I've yeah. come into my own and Rashida's come into her own without, I guess the, the loss of our moms have truly shaped who we are to this day, which has been yeah. a great thing. Ugh, sucks. But. Yeah. I mean, it's a shitty way to have to learn kind of who you are. Yes, it really is. It is. But I will tell you one thing that I have thought about, and I've never actually said this out loud. And I'm going to say it out loud for the first time today to you guys. I don't Wait know if I could have come out of the closet if my mom had lived. Wow. I don't. And you would not have been her, living your truth for so no, right. long. No, her opinion was so important to me. And making her happy was so important to me mm-hmm. that had she not died, I probably would have had a completely different life. Yes. Because I came out of the closet at 21. I was very young. I was in my third mm-hmm. year of university, my last year of university, actually, my last year of my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden things in my life just started to make sense. I just, mm-hmm. everything was like, boop, 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 boop. and it was like a Rubik's cube that just had solved itself. And I was like, oh, I get it now. I don't want to be in a relationship with a man. Oh, I totally understand. <laughs> High school makes so much sense to me. Okay, I, I can get on this train. That's great. And oh my gosh. I found like a family and a community of LGBTQ people in Vancouver who like loved me and accepted me for exactly mm-hmm. who oh, I was. What a relief. I showed up exactly as me and I felt finally like myself. Yes, finally. I love that. After my whole, you know, upbringing and everything told me, you're this person. I got to the University of British Columbia and realized I am not that person. That is not that box. 
you're not going to put me in that box because it is so not me. And mm -hmm. every choice that I have made since then, a lot of it has flown from that decision. And mm -hmm. I do think about that. I do think about what would have happened if she had lived? What would have happened if I had tried to come out to her? Mm -hmm. And because posthumously, and I'm sure that you guys have uh, experienced this because lots of people have, when our mothers die, they become saints. Right. Yes. We are we not allowed this. to say anything bad about them. Right. And my mother was not a saint. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> well, she's and, human, you know. Right. She is a flawed, fallible human. And she made choices that as a kid and as a teenager, I vehemently disagreed with. And I did not understand. And I judged the fuck out of her mm -hmm. most of my life. Probably, I think, probably into the last sort of five years when I became a middle-aged lady myself. <laughs> and then I started realizing, oh, things are complicated. Like, the world is a complicated place and people make choices. And she made choices. And, you know, people have said to me, oh, you know, people who've known me my entire life and knew my mom, oh, your mom would be so proud of you. Your mom would be so proud of you. And it, it warms my heart every time I hear it. And yet there's a little piece of me that doesn't know if it's true. Well, you know what, Janet, I feel like your living mom back what, like from what she, who she was, yeah. maybe not, but I can guarantee you that now she, yeah. the only thing she wants for you is joy because that's Absolutely. the only thing that they all want for us is joy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think this is the problem is that she's frozen in time for me. She'll yep. always be 49 and I'll yes. always be 18. And I'll never get to see her or imagine her as an old woman, as somebody who this year would have turned 75. A grandma. Would have been a grandmother. Mm -hmm. She would have been like the most amazing grandmother. Oh my God. These children would yes. not have known spoiled. No. Until they met her. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I know that's that. The thing. I know that and so trying to envision that and trying to see her, my mom was a very progressive person in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And I think that mm -hmm. for her time, you know, she was a product of her time, but she was also very progressive in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I like to think that, you know, first of all, she would have loved my wife, Meg, because Meg is truly the most genuinely amazing person. And I mean, I'm biased, but it's true. And she's <laughs> hilarious. And she's loving and kind and loyal. And like all of the values and, and characteristics that my mom really held so highly, you know, I think mm -hmm. that that would have been like a really good match for my mom in terms of like mm -hmm. a daughter-in-law. Yeah. But also to have grandchildren. I mean, my mother would have like lost her mind. She would have Oh yeah. I know. Like I know that's true. I know. You're right. It's yeah. tough because like you said, she's frozen in time at 44 or 49. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did you say, yeah, yeah, she's frozen in time at 49, but she's also yeah. frozen in time in 1995. Like there's also, that's weird. Like that's what I come I up against. So like, I, I will have moments where I think I said this last week or a week before Kara, I was like, do you ever have moments where you're like doing things and you're, you know, your mom would be like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, Yes. Why are you doing that? And so like, I yes. have those moments where my mom would be like, oh, that's lazy. You're, yeah. you're doing blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but we're coming up in a different time. Like I'm raising kids <laughs> in a different time than she was raising us. Like, and instead of having that conversation, like to my mom, like I talked to Ben's mom all the time about the differences. Like when she was like, you, we used to put whiskey on their binkies and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> We're, we're not, not doing, doing that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We're not doing that. But so like, 
like it's but can you do that bit, i know right uh, <laughs> uh, but there's but there's like a weird grief in that that they're stuck in a time and that like the world moved on yes. like the world like and like kara the world is even different already from when you lost your mom it is it is it's a completely different place than it was yeah. even a year ago yeah and yeah. that's the thing like when you said Rashida, that you're an account manager in an advertising company i smiled because my mom i don't know if you ever watched that then but my mom was peggy no oh, mom, that's awesome yeah my mom was a creative director for a oh, long that's time awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Very, very successful, you know, advertising. So she started out as a junior copywriter at J. Walter Thompson in Toronto and moved to Vancouver and worked her way up. And, and, and when she had to leave her corporate job because she had cancer, she was the creative director and vice president of this Mm. market, this advertising agency. Wow. And I grew up watching her work that was her mm-hmm. thing she was mm-hmm. like the corporate lady with the really 80s power suits you know in the corner office with the giant you know on the 20th floor and badass a mm-hmm. badass and I just thought she walked on water that's mm-hmm. that's what I thought but the world for women in work is very different now and in a lot of ways I think, you know, women like her, we owe so much to her because Mm -hmm. she was the one that took the glass ceiling and just went, no, thank you. Like Mm -hmm. you guys can discriminate against me all you want, but I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to take up space. And I think that was, that's one of the things that I remember about her so Mm -hmm. profoundly was what a leader she was and how people really respected her for her work. What I am loving about this conversation is that you have found such a way to, you look up to your mom, you loved your mom, you valued your mom for the life she lived, for the life she gave you, but you're also like, but you made mistakes. Like it's, it's almost like you have a healthy relationship with your dead mom. Yeah. I really hope so. I feel like me and my dead mom have made quite a lot of progress in therapy. That's how it feels. I feel like if That's we could have gone to therapy with my therapist, my dead mom and I really could have gotten some very productive things accomplished because I do feel like in a lot of ways, and I think that this is why I wanted to start the Mother Love Project last year because of it had been 25 years of me grieving her. And I didn't feel like I had anywhere to put that grief. Like there was a complicated story there. It wasn't just like, I loved her or she was terrible. It was like, I loved her and she made a lot of mistakes and she did some terrible things, but I still love her and I miss her and I wish she was here, but different. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. all of these things all wrapped up in one. And so I wanted to, because I'm a writer, I wanted to write the story, but I didn't want it to just be about me. I wanted it to be about all of the women that I have personally known who have gone through this because there are Mm -hmm. so many and I wanted to to do that. And then I just put it up on Instagram thinking, I'm not sure that anybody's going to do anything with this. And Mm -hmm. it just became this thing that people are responding to with all these stories that are so rich and beautiful and complex Mm -hmm. and written in that voice, uh, that woman's voice. That's what Mm -hmm. I wanted. I wanted them to write their own stories in their own voices and whatever they wanted their story to be or part of their story. Cause everybody's story mm-hmm. is way too long for like one, one website, you know, it's like we could all fill volumes, right. With the, with the nuance and the complexity and the grays in our stories. That's what I wanted for this little idea. 
that I had and it just is remarkable to me. And I know you didn't ask me about it, but I'm going to say, I just got to talk about it anyway, but this was what I wanted to do because I had spent so long privately working my mm-hmm. shit out with my dead mm-hmm. mom that I felt like, okay, I think I could, I think publicly I could say something about this and maybe there are other people who might want to say something about their grief as well. And look at the number of podcasts and people writing and people talking about their grief. Like it is mind blowing to me. Yeah. We are mm-hmm. having these conversations now. I am so filled with joy and love and Same. gratitude for the spaces that we have to have these conversations. It's it's remarkable. It is remarkable. And it's a total leap of faith. I yes. admittedly am not someone who would, who f- I definitely did not feel comfortable posting aside from like the typical, like, you know, static post of my mom. I lost my mom, you know, with some long caption, you know, dedicated to her. And yeah. then, you know, as time went on, Rashida and I, well, Rashida started her, you know, her space with Mona and me and just kind of creating this, this space. And I've taken a total, I think we all three of us have, and everyone in this space has have taken a leap of faith in putting ourselves out there in this manner, because yeah. you are, so we're being very vulnerable and really shedding a light on what's going on in our heads and what's going on in our hearts. And with, with, I feel like a lot of people might initially be like, Oh, they're talking about this, but we also see the joy in this journey too. Yeah. I've never actually come across anybody who said to me, Oh, are you talking about this? Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just, I live under a rock, but like, I, I guess if somebody said to me, Oh, why are you talking about this? I'd be like, why are you talking to me? Like, right. this is part of who I am. Right. And, and I want to talk for that person. Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's not for you. You don't, if you don't want to be in this space with me and there are people who I have approached people I know very well who have also, you know, their mothers have died and they've gone I can't. I'm really sorry. I'd love to, but I just can't. And I said, I totally get it. I trust Mm -hmm. me. I totally get it. It's Mm -hmm. absolutely fine. But I think for me, I, I learned coming out that me being out and me taking up space as a very femme presenting kind of queer woman, but somebody who passes all the time as straight is actually really important. And it's really important for me. And it's really important for my family. And every time somebody, you know, says, oh, like, what does your husband do? I'm like, yeah, I don't have a husband. Uh-huh. You know, like, I'm just like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I just kind of like blow past it because they're just making assumptions. And mm-hmm. this is the kind of honesty and authenticity that I think for our generation, for my generation, I'm not your generation. You are, y'all are much younger than I am, but for me, <laughs> not by me, much. I was missing this, completely missed it. Didn't have any of this at all. It was like, oh, you're talking about feelings. No, no, no Mm -hmm. more. Thank you. Bury that. Mm -hmm. And for my girls, this kind of authenticity showing up as who you are, that's what I want them to do. That's for them. Mm that's the thing that is my parenting. Like that's for me, the number one thing. That that's going to be your legacy. Yeah. Yep. 
I hope so. I hope so. I mean, they've got to have something to talk about in therapy. I mean, they're, they're going to go and complain about me. It's fine. I already know. It's totally fine. But I mean, I think the thing for me right now that is really complicated is that my biological family doesn't really have a relationship with them. And so oh yeah, that would be explaining hard. that to my older daughter is, is very complicated and it's extremely painful. Yes. And it takes me right back to I'm essentially an orphan. Uh, I have no one. I'm on my own. I have to figure all of this shit out all the time by myself. And the only really thing that has saved me has been my, my in-laws, my partner's family. They have literally like, from the moment I kind of stepped foot on their doorstep, they were like, oh, you're one mm-hmm. of us now. Okay. Aww. We, we, mm-hmm. we take you with us. And That's how my in-laws are too. Aww. Right. And I have been saved by that. I have my entire concept of family has been saved by that. I have a, this is a personal question. Well, I guess yeah. all personal questions. Um, For sure. so, so how long were you and your wife together before you had your first kid? So we were together for five years and then we got married. We were one of the first couples in Canada to legally marry. We're very proud of that. That's awesome. What? And yeah, we were like it's amazing. one of the first hundred couples, I think, to, to get married and to legally marry. And we were married okay. in 2006. And then we, we started to try for our first daughter it's very mm-hmm. time consuming and very expensive in 2010 and then she okay. was born in 2011 okay so 2011. did you feel so, so I Jan- sorry hold on January 11th of 2011 that's right okay so ah! my okay that's my that's our baby's due date ah, January 11th. yes and my daughter yes! the, <laughs> and my daughter who is turning four on the 20th of November so ah, and it's yeah, yeah I just see Yes. 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 The yes. total safety. That's sorry. I just had to. Love that. No, no. Yeah. no. As soon as you stopped her and repeated the date again, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <gasps> and so, and we, all those. I mean, yeah. I know. So Meg was in. <laughs> oh my God. I shouldn't. It, she's not going to be happy. Anyways, she was in labor. Love you, Meg. For <laughs> yeah. 30, yeah. For Thanks. 36 hours. Oh, with, with our daughter, Finn, 36 hours. So Finley was supposed to be born before she was born because she was not come out. She would not come out. And the moment I saw, I knew, we knew that we were having a girl and we were very happy with that. And Mm -hmm. Finley in uh, Gaelic is fair haired warrior. And the moment that child was born, the piece of my heart, the piece of my heart that had been missing just filled. It just, something oh. happened when I saw that child yep. come out and I held her for the first time. And I was like, oh, I'm whole again. Oh. I'm not half a person. It, it was it was like the craziest thing. I can't even describe it. It just made sense to me. My whole life up until that point, I felt like I was waiting for her. My to be goodness, born. woman, every like any question I wanted to ask, <laughs> you've just like purposely or like like beautifully gone into it without yes. to like ask a leading question. Yeah. So thank you. I was getting ready to be my question is if you felt so so like you felt so like everything I was doing in my life was on my own. And I I was very resistant to the word family. Like I found it like something about the word family made me like, (laughs) and so I, I didn't consider like my husband and I 
like it took me a long time to let him in. Like it took me a very oh. long time to like trust yeah. that this was a human who's promising. Even like, even after we were married, I was still just like, right. I mean, was not going to turn around and abandon you. Right. Yes, like, I mean, like, cause in Correct. my mind, I was like, we could walk away from each other. Marriage is like legally binding. Sure. But we could walk away from each other. Sure. And it wasn't right. until I had my first kid that I was like, oh, we're a family. Yeah. This is permanent. And so yeah, yes. I was wondering if that's Correct. what you answered it. I was wondering if that's how you felt. Like, even with all the I... celebratory things, were you just like, okay, wait a minute. Now this is our unit. I, I think that truthfully, she'll also kill me for saying this, but I, I think that Megan, because Megan and I have been together for 20 years this year. So we met Woo! when we were children. Yeah, children. I think that Meg is the only, one of the only reasons why I'm still here, actually. Aww. I think that she, sorry, I don't mean to get upset. She, um, no. she yeah. has saved me too many times to count. I think that that's the mm-hmm. thing is that like, I've gone to the brink and she's always kind of pulled me back. So mm-hmm. I think my life doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work without her. And I think when Finley was born, it was like the culmination of every wish and dream we ever had was like, yep. yeah, no pressure. Like thing. hard like, shaking my head, hard yeah. shaking right. my head, or like bobbing along like, with you. Cause yes, you know, being my head, I guess. two women and people and us saying we were one of the first of our friends to say like we're gonna have kids and they were like really how are you gonna make that happen and we just figured it out you know we just kind of figured it out and we knew that we had to have children I don't know I can't explain it It was just what we were compelled yeah to have children this was something Mm -hmm. that we knew we wanted to do and I don't know that we could put it into words but we just knew that we really wanted to have children and then when we had Finley we were like Oh, should we do this again? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> so crazy. The and question then, all parents you know, ask right, themselves after right? one. They're like, yeah. we got one more right. in us. No, I know. Yeah. Are we crazy or are we not? Really close together. We had five Oof. five years between yeah. our between our girls. So we really had to I mean, Meg had a really terrible pregnancy. Oh. Terrible mm. pregnancy. Oh. Terrible delivery terrible Uh, postpartum uh, uh, she had like wicked complications it was just horrendous Finley didn't sleep for two years uh, I mean the two of us were just like haggard and then and then she got pregnant again and I stopped sleeping and she was like what the fuck did I sign up for this is insane (laughs) you know and then Lenny was born but you know it was really I think having children for me was hugely triggering And I had no concept of how unbelievably triggering it was going to be until it was actually happening to me. And I was getting triggered so much all the time Mm -hmm. by things in my early childhood and into my teen years, like basically the first 10 years of my life that I had never dealt with and never acknowledged the trauma that had happened to me. And so I had to work. I, you see, this is the tricky part. I thought that my big trauma was when my mom died. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It, oh, wow. it started way before that. Yeah, it was way before that. So I had to go back, like way back. It's starting in 2015. This was what my therapist and I had to do. We had to go, okay, like back to basics. Mm-hmm. Let's just bring it all down. Man, so God love therapists. I know. Yeah. So we could just build it back up again. I've got to be one of her, you know, greatest creations, I think. Because, I mean, that that woman really just... 
took a chisel to me and just kind of hacked away for six years. Good. Yeah. To get you to yeah. get you to a spot where you are happy with the work you've done, like yes. and happy with who you are and who you're still becoming. Yes. You're you're laughing and saying that you're old, but like you're not. Like <laughs> no. you're still, I know. and and I and I know like and I know though that there's the weird like like soon soon you're going to be living a life that your mom didn't get to live. And I know that yes. that also is like my mom died at 43 and I've still got yeah. 10 years before I hit that. Yeah. But I still I am like I look at it like like not like it's almost like I'm like bring it on. Like, yes. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna do this. And so I'm gonna I, and I kick its ass. Yeah. Yes. And exactly. so yeah, you still have so much more to do in this world, I guess, I where, where I'm going. I do. I feel like it's a long list. I got, I got things to do and mm-hmm. um, I have things to build and things that I want to do for myself, things I want to do for my family, mm-hmm. things that my mom could never have dreamed of mm-hmm. doing. And I, yeah, I, I want to do, I want to do a lot of things, a lot of things. And I think that that's the thing. Like I always, I thought turning 40 for me was just a huge milestone. I was like, Oh, thank Christ. I made it to 40. Like I can knock that off my list. Right. And now I'm like 50. I said to Meg, we're about the same age. I said, when we turn 50, I'm taking the whole family to Italy. That's what we're oh, doing. Yes. We're Italy. Yes. We're just going to like max it out for like three weeks. Yes. Are, are we now? I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> plan. because I know, I know that when I get to 50, I'm just going to feel like, oh, I'm just getting started now. Watch yeah. me go like yes. this. Really? I, I dreaded it for such a long time being in my forties. And now I just feel, I feel like I'm coming un- unleashed in a way oh. like my potential is finally going to be realized because I am not shackled by trauma and grief and depression and anxiety and low self-esteem and all of these other things that Mm -hmm. have weighed me down for my entire life. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, yeah, Janet. Hell (laughs) yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I, I am so pumped for you. What a feeling. Kara, you just you. gave Kara like a speech. Kara's like yeah. just run through a wall after this. <laughs> yeah. Like the Kool-Aid guy. Like, yeah. I like, I, I'm going to become a motivational, just a motivational speaker. And just talk about grief. Yes. Yeah. Talk about like kicking grief's ass. No, I'm not. Yes. I mean, I just, I think that there is, there's a lot of power in owning your authenticity and showing up for who you are for yourself, not for anybody else, just for yeah. who you are for yourself. And that was the one thing that I really didn't realize, I think, until even this last year in the last like 18 months. Oh, so this pandemic mm-hmm. has done something to all of us. Truly. But Oof. I think I've had an opportunity to go, oh, I get to show up for myself now. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what this looks like. Oh, cool. I like it. I really right. like it. And now, I'm trying to start this business and I've got these other things going. And it's just like, I don't have to be a one trick pony anymore. That's, no. that's the great thing. I just, I feel finally like I can say the things that I want to say about who I am and the kind of life that I want to lead and not worry 
about what anybody else has to say. That's a that really powerful feeling. Liberating, truly liberating. And you see it yeah. show up when you, when you're, when you get to that point, you know, it's true when you start, when, when everyone supports you, when yeah. your family, when Meg supports you, when your daughter support mm-hmm. you and yeah. when everyone when strangers you. support you, yes. like yes. When you, you get yes. strangers. So like, yes, you are doing your own the right space, Kara and I do a lot of talking about like anytime there's a a sign that leads us to believe that we're doing, we're in the right spot. Yeah. Like we're mm-hmm. in the right space. We are doing yes. something we love doing and it's helping people. And like, yes. anytime we get a sign that affirms that, like we're both like rage texting each other, like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, yeah. Everything you said. I totally agree. I totally agree. I think that's the thing for me is I love helping people and I love working with people one-on-one. And that was the one thing that I was missing in my regular day job. And Mm -hmm. so I'm creating that space for myself to do that now and creating a space, an, an internet electronic space for women to show up in their own voice and talk about mm-hmm. their stories, to talk about their moms, to say their names, mm-hmm. to remember yes. them, mm-hmm. to talk about the things that they miss and the things that they don't miss mm-hmm. and the things that they wish that were different. That to me is incredibly powerful. And if that's a service, if, if that's me being a service to mm-hmm. other people, then I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing a good thing. And that makes me feel good. So really it's all about me, which is fine. Yeah. But I, I feel good. It makes me feel good. It makes yeah. me feel good. And well, it's, it helps it's, me process my own grief. It's beautiful. Yeah. The mother love project is beautiful. absolutely beautiful. Everyone can go check it out, motherloveproject.com. And we will also link that in our show notes, but it is, I'm so happy that you created this space for Mm -hmm. us all to go and share our stories. And also, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, it it helps to find people who have similar stories and it's just, that's how, when you can start labeling how you're feeling, that is just Mm -hmm. on a part of your journey, your grief journey and your path to healing. Yeah, I think grief is so isolating. We live in Western culture. We live in a culture where we isolate grievers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily, I don't For whatever really reason, understand like it's why yeah. we do this. I don't know. It's the cultural, opposite. it's historic. I right. don't know why. Yeah. Um, because there are certainly cultures where they don't isolate grievers, right? Where grieving mm-hmm. is a community activity. Where you get like a um, mourning period. Yeah. You get a mourning period, you grieve, you, you know, you said Shiva, you, you grieve together. You know, it's a religious activity. We don't do that for some reason. And so connecting people, you know, on the internet. I mean, that, that is the power of social media to me and Mm -hmm. seeing that when you read the stories, the the amazing thing about the stories is that there are so many similarities. And what is so Mm -hmm. powerful to me is these are women from all around the world, all different races, all different ethnicities, all different countries, cultures, languages, religions, backgrounds, socioeconomic, completely different. Mm -hmm. And we all tell very similar stories and that to me like the sociologist in me goes whoa okay there this is a thing like this is something something here Mm -hmm. and my dream in a post-pandemic world is we get to get together physically and come together somewhere and like a motherless mom retreat yeah like some kind of like motherless mom grief con yeah, because Ooh, yeah. I think that would be amazing. I love that. Yes. I yes. would definitely do that. And that is kind of on my to-do list. 
for the next, oh. you know, five years. I think we could like collectively the yeah, powerful, sure. amazing women. Count us in on that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Two tickets I, right here. Yeah. <laughs> tickets. You guys are going to be speakers. I'm putting you <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, Kira, tickets. fine. You can Please. be in the audience. Yes. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm no, attending no. everything. I was like, yeah, yeah. I would like a free ticket because I'm going to be speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I see this program in my head. It's like already there. It's, I know, I know so many amazing mm-hmm. women already who are like ready to get on a plane and come and do this. We just need to figure out how to make it happen. And that for me would be incredible because I think the healing in the collective healing in that after a collective trauma of a global pandemic is Mm -hmm. very powerful and I think Mm -hmm. it's an opportunity for us to say I see you I see you I understand what you've been through recognize it in myself and you're amazing like look at all the things that you've done Mm -hmm you know, in because of it, but also in spite of it. Right. Sure. Right? That's the narrative that I don't want people to come and feel like we're just going to cry for, you know, two days or whatever. Maybe we will, but it, there's something empowering. Yeah. It's okay if we do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to exactly. cry and get but over it. And then we're going to laugh and drink. And... Yeah, exactly. But it's not because we're victimized. It's because we, we own the feelings that we feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, we own our feelings. For sure. For yes. sure. Yes. Own it. And that yes. is okay. And that yes. is, and we're going to talk about it. That is the ultimate yes. empower is, yeah. you know, too often you think of a griever who is just sad, but in yeah. fact, we're strong. We're, we're stronger oh, than we used absolutely. to be. We're, and we have risen to a stronger power. Fucking sign me up. I am ready to go to grief con. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> grief con, okay. grief con, grief con. Grief con, grief con. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm very excited. No, I Perfect. think and the thing is that like, I think one of the most amazing things is there's so much joy in this conversation. And I think that that's where we lose out is we have a lot of joy. We have joy Mm -hmm. and laughter in the memories of our moms that we want to talk about. Yep. And we have joy in connecting in some difficult times. And, you know, I'll just leave you with the memory that one of the memories I have of my mom, she was extremely pretty and fancy and I thought she was so beautiful and she had the most gorgeous handwriting ever mine is disgusting and horrible but hers was so perfect and she used to write cards and notes to everybody like thank you notes and thank you cards and birthday cards and she would send Mm -hmm. mail and her name was Cass and her friends referred to her as mama Cass like from the mamas and the papas because when you had a problem you would go to Cass and she would help you sort it out and that was the kind of friend she was. And I think for me, I was like telling that story about her because she was such an amazing friend. And it's just somebody that I would have wanted to be friends with. Yeah. Sure. Me too. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. She was cool. Well, yeah. Janet, this was a wonderful, amazing conversation. Thank so you. Glad. Like my heart feels full. Yeah. Oh, totally. Thank I you. I want to reach through this screen and just <laughs> I know. give you the biggest hug. I also want to hang out <laughs> with you. I- oh, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're going to grief con, baby. Grief con, yeah. yeah. Yes. So can you please share with our listeners where they can find you? You've got your personal, you've got mother love yes. where, yes, yes, share, shout it all out if you'd like. So I am at Janet Willem Wright. I will put it in the, the notes. Probably we'll have it in show notes. Yep. Spelling it out is, is very hard and at the mother love project. So, and it's motherloveproject.com, all one, and submissions are always open. So if you would like to submit your story or a blog post, please just email me and I post everything that I receive. There are no guidelines. There are no restrictions. Just send me whatever you feel like posting and I will post it. Amazing. I know Cass is rooting for you and she's so proud of you for the copywriter in her is just like, keep it going, girl. (laughs) Look at her grammar. Yes. Yes. Good editing. Yeah. No, thank you. You guys are amazing. And just thank you so much for this opportunity. I am thrilled, really honored to be on the show. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Kara, you want to take us home? All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Grieving Mamas Club podcast. When times get tough, just remember, you're a badass bee and you got this, mama. Woo! Thank you, guys.